awakening, paying attention, relax the tension, sense of opening, receiving. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing to attain. In contemplating the first noble truth, dukkha, really uh, get to know the feeling of unsatisfactoriness. Like think about the world, Uh, you know, the society, the international political problems, wars in Iraq, uh, criminal crime problems in Britain, unfairnesses, injustices, personal conflicts in the community, the structure of the community, the weather, breathing, your own personal opinions, likes and dislikes, your strong identities with being monk or nun or male or female, all these kind of things. These are, this is the world. And and it's, I find it very, you know, it, it's so endlessly kind of uh, intimidating and pulling and real for us. They're trying to bring the world into one actual feeling. Not just one thing, you know, not one particular problem, but the world in general, the conflicts on the, in the international, uh, from the international perspective, personal conflicts, communal, religious, Now, when I do this, then I, you know, I kind of isolate this feeling of just unease, dis-ease. It's a sense of impending doom or an endless procession of more problems, more demands, more requests, more complaints, more difficulties, pollution, wars, environmental problems, social religious and on and on like this, it goes, and this is, you know, the, the world, this is the world, it's a, it's infinite variety, conditions rising and ceasing. Old age, sickness, death. And when we, when we create the world, then this is what we feel. This is what I feel when I create this world. Either the sense of myself or the opinions, views, perceptions I have from media, from others, from my own uh, emotional habits, it's like this. Now, when I do this, I get this feel. This feeling is the first noble truth that there is this dukkha. There's just something unsettling all the time about the world. So in in the reflection on the Four Noble Truths, they, uh, you know, this, uh, to see this, to to fully have insight into the First Noble Truth. 
it's not to it's not necessarily to isolate bits of suffering or or this but get this feeling of this sense of dis-ease this, this kind of uh, impending doom feeling or dissatisfied irritated by it complaining criticals like this so that's why you know going to committee meetings and trying to iron out all the problems and everybody's discontentment and and uh, suffering why it's so uh, you know one gets so kind of worn out by it the the complaints the the demands the discontentment the uh, and just goes on and on and on that's why I stopped going to meetings if I can possibly get out of it Elders' meetings, horrible. Because having done it for so many years, you know, it goes on and on. You could see the same, you know, who's who's ever really content and and grateful, you know? It's always somebody complaining about the sangha, or the sangha complaining about the sangha, or the monks complaining about the nuns, nuns complaining about the monks, or nuns complaining about nuns, monks complaining about monks. And that's the world. So, you know, to ask the, the world not to be the world is uh, absurdity, isn't it? The world is like this. It feels like this. It's never going to be fit us perfectly. It's never going to truly satisfy us. We can always think of some better, something better than this. You know, some place else, some other group or monastery or lay life or find the right person. The, love of one's life or whatever there's always this this option you know the possibility of of finding something that really satisfies us and so this is you know this desire the dunha not you know not uh Always thinking that the future holds the, the, where promise always lies in the future. So, in the monastic form, the emphasis, uh, you know, of monasticism, of Buddhist monasticism, is contentment, gratitude, for requisites, and uh, dhammavinaya. <coughs> Now, if I if I'm never content, I'm always think of something better. You know, go to India, Thailand, or Australia, or wherever America. Uh, find the right teacher. You get fed up with me, or the monks and nuns here. You can find another teacher that you feel more heart connection to, or this or that, one endlessly searches uh, and not really looking at the dissatisfaction, the discontentment. But you can't make yourself content. You know, this is not something that, that you can just will but it does. But it, it's natural when one recognizes the suffering of discontentment, and this is uh, this is like the first noble truth, dukkha. The suffering I create. 
out of getting caught, intimidated, in bound into this feeling of something's wrong, something's not right, something's missing with me or the place or the country or the or the world in general, the universe. So in in this way, you know, you you know, emphasizing this, why the Buddha taught in this style, the Four Noble Truths, is a rather unique teaching style. It is, you know, what is the true, what makes Buddhism Buddhist is this Four Noble Truths. It's unique to Buddhism. So in, in this way, you know, trying to, to make oneself content and feel guilty about discontentment, this is not, this is not what one is I- I encouraging. Not to try to intimidate you and make you feel guilty about discontentment and, you, you know, tell you you should be content. But an encouragement, you know, to really investigate Dhamma, what is suffering, its causes, cessation, path, it's all there very clearly, you know, freely given in this tradition. There's nothing esoteric or hidden about the the essential teaching for liberation. And it's a higher practice or it's a in that that when when really when forms of Buddhism talk about higher practices and and all this stuff, I don't, you know, I lose interest in them. Because that whole way of thinking is still dukkha, higher, lower, esoteric, all that, that kind, those are words that convey, you know, subtlety or mystery or specialness, something special. Where Four Noble Truths, you know, First noble truth, there's nothing special about suffering. So it's not a special kind of suffering. And you know, refined that you only kind of, you know, advanced meditators experience. It's just the ordinary suffering of, of ignorance, of not knowing Dhamma of discontentment, of the ego, the way we, we, we bind ourselves to, to these perceptions of a self. So in the, you know, like the Seeing the what not wanting this, not wanting this community to be like this, not wanting to be the way you are, not you know always thinking that we've got to change something, we've got to come to grips, we've got to face up, we've got to develop, cultivate progress. These are all forms of discontentment. So in um, in monastic reflection, it's like you you know you think it's Dhamma Vinaya, Four Noble Truths. The Vinaya is respected. The four requisites is adequate. Here, you know, shelter, food, uh, robes, and medicine. Now this way of reflecting. Then it it uh, it helps to to put into perspective one's discontentment, you know, because it's not saying you have to have the best requisites, isn't it? The requisites are always at the lowest possible level, you know, rag robes, bindabot food, root of a tree for a shelter. I mean, they're 
their their standard of the basis of reflection is not not on quality but on on what is most easily uh you know it doesn't cost anything not expensive easily obtainable so when i hear the complaints and endless demands of the community you know wanting more of this and less of that and you know this is what it's pointing to to you know when when you think about the community and about Theravada Buddhism, about monasticism, about the vinaya, about yourself, then and you don't know, you don't understand how thinking operates, and you actually believe it. You believe your perceptions and your and your feelings, your intuitions. You and you then you you get um, caught into that, into those conditions. So, uh, you know, you hear people, I can't stand it, it's too, too many of this, too little of that. And so, uh, people, we all have this feeling that we can't stand it. I've had enough. They've been doing this Buteco breathing practice with Christopher <coughs> Drake, and interesting watching this, when you do this method where you inhale, exhale, and then you hold your your nose so you can't inhale again and hold it for as long as you can. You know, how that feeling of I can't stand it anymore immediately almost takes over, at least with me. And then if you can't, the first few seconds it's all right, and then suddenly I can't stand it feeling takes me over. (laughs) Almost, you know, you feel this... uh, Incredible, kind of. I can't stand it, <laughs> and yet I can. You know, it's, uh, you know, you know. If, if you don't believe that that kind of uh, emotional reaction, sta- I can stand a lot longer than than when the the voice says I can't stand it begins. Noticing things like this, you know, this is awareness. Awareness of, you know, just the the way it is, and the and how the emotional habits are are very conditioned. You know, I can only take this. I can't do that. I have to have this. I need that. The way we we create all these these forms of suffering and limitation. So in in. Uh, Awareness, you know, the first noble truth is get this feeling for Duke. This just a, you know, not not aiming at one thing, but like all the conditioned world phenomena altogether. Where you stop thinking about, you stop, you know, l- you know, going from one thing to the next, and the feeling that comes, just that feeling of. Un- being dissatisfied, a feeling incomplete, something missing, disappointment. Or I can't stand it. It just goes on and on. The, the same old problems and the, the grumble, grumble, grumble. Then there's, a, you know, that feeling of There, there he goes again, kind of feeling. <laughs> and you know, because it's it's like in this, this is uh, this is still, you know, the the world that we're creating. We blame might blame it on others or something, but actually we're creating that when you really are honest and look <coughs> at it.
Now, when I, you know, personally, I don't, when I personally don't feel truly respected and, and appreciated or understood or whatever, you know, that's, that's a point of suffering, you know, if I feel I'm, you know, I'm not appreciated or not understood properly or whatever, then it feels like this. So then the suffering, you know, observing this in, in the form of noble truths. There is suffering. And the, then the desire, you know, to be appreciated. And all this is, is on the personal level, the Sakyaditi thing, you know. I am somebody and I need to feel I'm appreciated and loved. I need respect and I need recognition and encouragement. I need all kinds of things on a personal level. On that level, we all need, have endless needs, personal needs. So that's why I'm pointing to beyond that, to see, like yesterday morning, emphasizing this, this awareness, awareness of Sakyaditi. Now, Sakyaditi can't be aware of itself. Well, Sakyaditi can take over so you can actually believe everything that your personality and emotional habits produce. And, uh, and that, but, but if you really are uh, aware, you're aware of that. The conditioned sense of a self. And the difference between the awareness, the pure conscious awareness and the, the miasma of self that we create and, you know, and, and then experience life through these uh, distortions that we create. And that's, and that's dukkha, suffering. We, we're always seeing through distortions, through, through perceptions that we've created out of ignorance. We don't, you know, we're caught in, the, in that in delusion. Now, in, in this, in the, in the, listen to the, the complaining mind. Listen to the, uh, your, you know, your feelings and, and uh, the, the Sakyaditi self-view. Listen to it, not in a critical way, but just to get the feeling of it, to really be a personality, uh, but watching it, you know, so you're, you're not, blinded by personality, but you're actually in quite intentionally creating yourself according to your habits, but your awareness of it, of having and feeling this sense of separation of being this person, this way, this type, of feeling not properly loved or respected, of feeling uh, you know, not recognized or whatever, whatever way you, your personality works. Then it can be based on things. Maybe, maybe you're not properly respected. I'm not denying that. But, you know, and saying it's just your fault. Because sometimes the world, you know, is not fair. It isn't going to respect everybody that deserves it. And, and life moves and changes in so many ways that we have no control over. So, our re relationship then to the world is to be the knower of the world. The loka we do. This is the epithet for the Buddha. It's not a critic of the world. 
but knowing the world as the world. So the only way that one can, that, that that is possible is with awareness. So the first noble truth is not, you know, not, uh, is not to be uh, analyzed and uh, blamed on oneself or the or the world, but it's a a way of reflecting on on the the world. The world is dukkha. Its nature is dukkha. Its nature it, it it's supposed to be this way. It's unsatisfying. It's changing. You can't keep it. You can't force it and bend it to your wishes and sustain it. You know, the world is changing and it changes and goes on and changes all kinds of ways we, we may not personally like or approve of. So not to be a kind of like a depressing, negative critic of the world is there's all suffering as some kind of uh, put down of the world. It's not a, a, a depressing fact. It's just admitting the way it is that when we don't know the world as the world, then we're, we're, we wonder why life is like this, why it has to be like this, why can't, why can't lions and lambs get on with each other, why can't uh, things go according to the way they should and why can't people just stop fighting and and creating wars and polluting the planet? Why can't we learn how to live in harmony and peace and love and and all these wonderful things that we know we should you know would make everybody feel content and happy? And so it goes on like this, you know, the, the, you can separate, go off and try to create the perfect monastery or community, but still, if you don't really know the world, just trying to create a perfect world is going to be terrible disappointment. Because you can't do it. The world is like this. So, uh, you know, the Buddha is pointing, you know, Know the world, no conditioned phenomena, know the first noble truth. Witness it, you know, feel it, taste it, bathe in it. So you get to know dukkha. Not, not, it's not asceticism, not whipping oneself or doing terrible things to cause suffering, but just the ordinariness of getting up in the morning, of sleepiness, of not getting what we want, or things not going the way that I want them to, or I can't, the feeling of I can't stand this anymore. You know. And living with, in the community with, with uh, different personalities, where we feel like and dislike, love and hate, on personal, personal reaction. And so in, in my own practice, I've, I've really, you know, developed this out of, because it, you know, this, this uh, Four Noble Truths is really a perfect teaching if you use it. If you really want to, if you really aspire to be liberated. If you don't want to, then... and try to find uh, what you want. See if you can get what you want. So, this uh, encouraging, this wanting something that I don't have yet, or not wanting something that I have that I don't want that I'm fed up with, don't like anymore. So second noble truth is 
letting go of gamadana, pavadana, vipavadana. And you can trace every emotional reaction to bhavadana, vipavadana, gamadana. If you, you know, this, these are really neat, succinct categories. But, you know, they're not just, it's not just some kind of intellectual theory to be able to chant gamadana, pavadana, vipavadana. What are these, you know, in terms of my own experience, my, my discontentment, wanting something I don't have, not wanting the world to be the way it is. is like this. Not wanting the world to be like this is, is like this. Wanting something that where, you know, being discontented, wanting something else is like this. Wanting, desiring, all it, what this is, you go, you, you get this feeling, this desire, this dunha feeling. It's always, it's a, you know, it, it doesn't, desire can never be content. That's not his nature. Desire is is uh, is never can can never take you to contentment. So desire dunha, is, you know, in the second noble truth, but clearly spelled out. What is this dunha? Desire. The reality of it, you know, wanting something, not wanting something, and look at you know, looking at your own. Desires, your own feelings. Not from the critical view to say, oh, I'm full of desires and I shouldn't, because then that's still sakya ditti. But desire is like this. This is insight then. It's, it's, uh, you know desire. You know mara. This is knowing. Sati panya, wisdom. You know the, the real thing, not just the ideals of Buddhism. So then contentment comes from mindfulness, being aware of the suffering of discontentment. Being aware of discontentment. To feel it, to really bathe in it, to to you know, completely immerse yourself in discontentment with, with this awareness of it. You know, take it to absurdity. You know, I could say, in a, tell this story of years ago, before Amaravati, it jitters, I was feeling very critical of the community at Chithurst and uh, you know so felt disappointed and discontented with them and and uh, then we I was in a grumpy complaining mood so I wake up in the morning and I'd think you know having to live with these people and and all the kind of problems and personal conflicts and I didn't join the Sangha to get involved with this. I came in for, you know, real practice and peace and, and I go into my, I get on my high horse of, I am, you know, I came into the Sangha to, not to deal with all these difficult people. And so I, you know, I'd be in this state of, you know, and then I'd, I wouldn't, you know, when you're in this in this grumpy state, you can't appreciate anybody, no matter how good they are and how, you know, helpful or respectful or kind. You know, you, it's just, it takes you over, this kind of negativity. So, anyway, I decided to, to really be gr- totally grumpy You know, really uh, complain, but watch myself. 
you know, so I complain, you know, I just complained about everything. And my mind would go on and on complaining about this monk, this nun, this place, this country, like the Theravada Buddhism, everything, Vinaya, grumble, grumble. And then it got to a point where it actually, I could burst out laughing because it was totally absurd. <laughs> You know, I immersed myself in grumpiness, complaining, and discontentment. But I was watching it, and even playing with it, you know. So, instead of just coming from, I shouldn't, you know, I'm the head monk, I should you be content, and I should set a good example for everybody, and and appreciate everybody for what they are, and value them for their efforts to live under the Vinaya, and commit to the holy life and I know all that stuff I knew how I should feel so when somebody comes along and says you should be grateful for this and content with that <laughs> you know shut up because <laughs> I know that <laughs> but uh This is emotional, you know, this is, this is not reasonable in, in how it should be, but it's like this. And then taking it to absurdity, you know, it began to get some perspective on, on, on this, this kind of self-centered, critical mind that, you know, want something to be other than what it is. They can imagine how I would like Chitters to be and how I want the people at Chitters to want them, how I want them to be like this and want them, to, everything to go like this and everything to be like this and it's not. Not the way I want it, not the way it should be. And then then the conceit of I'm wasting my time, wasting my life here. I didn't ordain to do this or live with these difficult people. Blah, 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 blah. And there I go. Now listening to that, that which is aware of that sakyaditi, Now really, that awareness, you know, if you really ask this question and really, you know, be a sakyaditi, full of yourself, full of ego, positive, negative, take it to its limits, be totally self-centered and opinionated and critical and, and so forth, but listen to it. That which is aware of that is not that. And the more you, you really uh, investigate, you know, like inquiry, awareness is aware of conceit and selfishness and negativity and grumpiness. But awareness isn't grumpy or conceited or self-centered or anything. And keep, keep, you know, like, like really keep at this till you, till the point where you have a breakthrough, suddenly you really see it, you know, this awareness difference between pure awareness and the ego, uh, the conditioned Sakyaditi self. You know, they're separate. The ego, the Sakyaditi, arises and ceases. And it changes according to conditions. How you feel, you know, whether, whether it's morning or evening or Everything, whether it's rainy and cold or sunny and hot or whatever. 
the sakyaditi, you know, self sense of a self, what I like and approve of and don't like and think and remember and and that that those things change and come and go according to condition. So in in uh, noticing this, this awareness then is the butto. That's the refuge. Awareness of the world as the world. But it's no longer saying how the world should be. It's noting the way the world is. Arising, ceasing, birth and death, meeting, separating, the demons, the angels, and so forth. The whole, you know, right and wrong, good and bad. That's the world. And awareness of it is, is not the world. So, my, now this is exploring, investigating. You know, really pay attention. Not, you know, really get to know how the thinking process it's functional, but you know it's always critical. Its nature is to criticize, compare what should and shouldn't be, the best and the worst, the the highest achievement, the lowest, the secret teachings, the special initiations, the advanced meditators, the beginners. And on and on like this. This is this is the world. But that which is aware is is not conditioned. We don't create it. So it's, and this is why it's so to have insight to recognize that this is it. It's as simple as this. And the nor of the world. Not somebody who who thinks they know the world, not like a worldly person. Loka we do, knower of the world. Seer, like we do, is a, like seer. A seer, a knower of the way the world is. So the world here at Amravati in this, in this particular setting that we're experiencing now, to know that as the world, you know, in terms of the conventions and the personalities and the problems and, and things, uh, changing conditions, it's supposed to be like this. You know, it's not supposed to be satisfying and fulfilling. It can't be. It'll never complete you and make you feel secure in itself. So, then we don't demand that. You know, we, we give up the kind of making endless demand, impossible demands on the world. And then we begin to see the suffering of, of this blind desiring and wanting and not wanting things. And then we, we, when you see that, you let go. You have the second noble truth, letting go of desire. And so in the, say, Buddhist monasticism, this emphasis on the four requisites, on being on contentment with little, and of this Dhammavinya, Four Noble Truths, and the, the seal of the kind of restraining qualities of vinya, you know, agreements, moral agreements, or behavioral agreements, just to, to, uh, to help, not to create more sakya ditti. And then this, this is like to be grateful for this. So like my own response in, in, in my own monastic experience. 
was intense gratitude for to the Buddha, to Lung Po Cha and so forth. A feeling of real gratitude for you know, for Dhammavinya, for the and to to the lay community providing the requisites. So this gratitude providing the requisites, being content, that lead, leads to contentment. Then from contentment, you know, you, you do have a grounding, you have a basis, a foundation for reflection. If you don't know contentment, then you'll never develop, um, you know, you'll just be searching, finding, trying to look for the perfect situation. So that the Buddha is going to make life very simple for, you know, from the Sangha. Puts it down in, very sim- in a very simple way. So that it's not, we don't need that much. Very basic things. And, and we always, you know, people are generous, so we always have you know, very nice requisites. But that's not what we set our mind on. That's not what we uh, have to have anymore. So so this sense of gratitude and contentment. From here, from this point of contentment, then I can actually work with uh, situations, with problems, with my own personal uh, tendencies, with uh, the world around me. Because I'm not, I'm no, no longer demanding it to be something that can't be. Or thinking that if I get everything under control here, get this monastery under control, get it all shaped up, going in the right direction, and uh, then we can really practice. You know, once we get all the proper conditions right here, you know, everything is just super, you know, super duper. Then we can really practice. We'll be content so we can really practice once we we have all the proper facilities and the right understandings between the samanas and, and the right relationships and the right this and the best of that. Then we can really, really practice. I've never seen that. I mean, I've felt like that. I used to, you know, think like that myself. But seeing through that, the Sakyaditi, when everything's as I want it to be, as I idealize or think it should be, then... But notice the Buddha didn't make that... It, it was all on observing the way it is. For requisites are so primitive and so basic Dhamma is about, is not hidden teachings of that you have to be highly educated and, and highly developed in order to comprehend. It's about here and now, suffering, dukkha, here and now. It's pointing to the experience that we have all the time of being a person, personality of, of wanting and not wanting, loving and hating pointing at this all the time so that you, you know, there's no mystery about it. So then the, then the practice, the bhati-bhata, to, to have, you know, to, if we practice with this, then we have the insight. The bhati-weti. The, the result of practice is this insight, a knowing, a gut knowing, profound understanding of reality, which is no longer based on intellectual concepts.
in, in uh, you know, this is, this is uh, all I'm really interested in. Is this, you know, is, is, is liberation. Because I know on the condition level, just trying to, to make everything the way it should be, according to an ideal. I've, you know, I've tried to do that. And it, and it just, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, it makes you, makes me personally want to, to go off by myself. Because I, you know, it just goes endless, 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 kind of feelings of more and more, wanting more and more, or refining this, or coming to grips with that, and, and, and then all kinds of views about spreading Buddhism and importance of Dhamma teaching for the new age and, and, uh, all, and all, some of them very good causes. You know, not that, but they never cease either. There's always more and more, more to do. And so this, knowing where things end, the ending of things, the cessation, the end of the world is here and now. You know, so you're, you're, you're knowing, you're re realizing cessation rather than, uh, you know, creating endless new things, new ideas, better ideas, improvements, progress. Now this kind of knowledge is, is, is insight knowledge, so it's not, not knowledge of, you know, of worldly knowledge. But then this is liberation. Liberation is, is from knowing these, these, these noble truths. Having the insight the three aspects of each noble truth, the twelve insights. So this is not, you know, a, a, a task that is beyond anyone's ability. It just, just uh, amounts to who's, who's willing to do it. Take it, you know, to Arahantship. To Arahant. But not in some kind of personal, I mean, not there's some kind of personal achievement. But the word arahan actually is, is a, is, is a concept, another word conveying that. An arahan is, is one who's had the twelve insights, the three insights into each noble truth, three aspects of each noble truth, twelve insights. So, so then, you know, if he's, but Arahant, you know, as it's popularly used in Buddhist circles, is some, somebody who's highly attained. You know, in Thailand, you go, who, who so-and-so's an Arahant, or and you go, oh, you know, somebody highly attained, and uh, and an ego want you know feeds on that. How many arhants do you know? We could be, you know, dropping names. I visited these arhants. I got a a book the other day from somebody who's written a book on Dhamma, and he, and he lists all the arhants and all the teachers he studied with. You know, I've studied with, he studied with Ajahn Chah, with Ajahn Mahabua, with Buddhadasa, with, with me, with Ajahn Pramawangso, with, and goes on and on, you know, Mahasi Sayadaw, and, <laughs> wow, you're really somebody. 
even all the great ones who studied with, you know. It's like name dropping, isn't it? So, but, but bringing these terms into, so that they're not feeding Sakya Ditti. But also we need to bring the Pali terms in so that they're, they're you know, they're, they're not being exaggerated or, or uh, corrupted by, by human illusions, human ignorance. They're, they're, they're for guidance, they're not for grasping. So in the, see our life here, to me it's a very, uh, you know, to me this is, it's a very, I feel very grateful because it has, you know, in terms of my own experience. You know, I've been given the Dhammavinaya and the four requisites for 40 years now. You know, this is, it. now the 40 years that have passed, it hasn't, you know, been a lot of suffering because that's the way it is. You know, I had to learn through uh, the trials and errors and the, and the highs and lows and the inspirations and the disappointments, disillusionments of monasticism, of myself, of, of other monks and nuns, of the world ar- around me. And it's all been part of the path. It's not something that that I re- resent. But the basis of the, you know, the 40 years have been very much the Dhammavinaya has been made available. And uh, four requisites have been adequate, more than adequate, in fact. And so that that I have nothing to complain about in my in my experience of Buddhist monasticism. It's been you know I've been I've been I've, I've been given and encouraged to use the Dhamma trained in the Vinaya and uh, and learned to uh, and have been provided with the basic essentials for survival in more than adequate ways. Well, reflecting like this, what, what kind of mental state arises? For me it's gratitude and appreciation contentment, a kind of joyful feeling of pity a kind of pity arises because it is touching. You know, feel so privileged, so fortunate to uh, to have met the Buddha. Buddhism had given the opportunity to live this life in such a a pure way as as this tradition. Uh, allows, you know, it's a very, you know, it's quite, quite a pure form of Buddhism. It's not, you know, it's a relatively, you know, it's uh, the teaching, the Dhamma is not corrupted, not been perverted or corrupted in any way. The Four Noble Truths survives up to the present day. And living within this alms mendicancy style, it works, doesn't it? Living in a non-Buddhist country, you still can live. You still can live without having money and all those things. You know, personal funds, or you know, because of the generosity that generate that is generated from this. So this is a way, this is a way of developing uh, 
Gatanyugatamiti, gratitude, and and that's a joyful feeling. That's a heartfelt feeling. It's a loving feeling and uh, contentment. And from this, then, then more and more the discontentment and the desires we have and the ideals and, and high-minded values that we might grasp, we have perspective on them. We can actually investigate, explore the Four Noble Truths too, through to the Twelve Insights. 